tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Recorded live. Well, this is uh, Larry Phillips, and uh, we're glad that you could join us on the talk shoot tonight. Um, and uh, sorry for the inconveniences last week. Uh, we had some glitches in our uh, internet system up here. Well, I live at the end of the world, as many of you know. I live on the top of a, a mountain out in the wilderness or out in the forest, and uh, so sometimes it gets kind of tough. Um, now, I think, let's see, um, is that someone just uh, joined us? Um, another person from California. Is that you, Kevin, by chance? Yes, Larry. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm glad that you could join us tonight. Yeah, I'm glad um, we got the bugs fixed on this. <laughs> well, it was quite a uh, chore last week as I could not, I just couldn't function from, I have three different systems that can access um, TalkShoe and not not one of the three systems was working. So tonight we're a little better, okay. even though we have five five inches of snow on the ground out here and it's bitterly Oh, cold. exciting. Oh. Yeah. 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 Um, I was just kind of given an, uh, kind of a little, prelude to our program tonight, we, we're going to be talking about what the gospel is and what the gospel is I not. can't hear it. It's breaking up, Larry. Okay, I'll try to speak up. Is that better? Yeah. Uh, it was at first, yeah, and then it fell away again. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, it's sharp. Knows, it's good now. Okay. Who knows, who knows what will happen here, but anyway, we're going to be talking about what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And, of course, um, many people disagree what the gospel is. And so I want to just talk about that a little bit, uh, have some questions uh, for yourself. And Mark has agreed to help us out. And, um, you know, if, if anyone else wants to join, everybody's mic, everybody that called in, your mic is unmuted. So. You know, just uh, if you have a question or you have a comment, just let us know. And we'll be happy to uh, to give way. Um, oftentimes, we hear the term "the gospel" is good news or glad tidings. Um, but the the challenge is is that that definition, uh, the gospel is glad tidings, uh, in the modern day Christian world, that gospel is for everybody. Uh, all men without exception. And we know that Scripture teaches us something totally different. And I, I re remember the first time that I heard the true gospel, um, and it was through a exposition of the sixth chapter of John. And I remember the first time I heard that uh, the scripture that all that the Father hath given me will come to me, and all that come to me I will in no wise cast out. Mm -hmm. And that just 
that that first part of that verse just floored me. I thought, wait a minute, all that the Father have given me hasn't got hasn't the hasn't God given everyone to Jesus because Jesus died for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's up to man it's up to man whether whether he's saved or not because of his free will, whether he lets him in in, in lets Jesus into his heart or not. That's the way I right. was raised. Sure. And yeah. so once I heard a very of course the Holy Spirit used the sermon on on can you hear me okay now, Kevin? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. I just I wanted to make sure that I wasn't breaking up. Let me know if I do break up, Kevin. I will. I will. But anyway, uh, the interesting thing, I heard a sermon uh, probably 25 years ago on substitutionary atonement, and it really had a phenomenal impact. I believe that was what God used to quicken me mm-hmm. um, because I could see that my only hope, knowing what a a terrible, cursed sinner I was, I knew that I needed a Savior, but I never understood um, substitutionary atonement. I didn't understand that it was an actual, an actual work he did, an effectual work he did for his people. Mm-hmm. And once I, once I understood that, then it brought about the question regarding the question regarding, well, wait a minute. If Christ's death or his atonement is it effectual for all for whom he died for, and he died for everyone, then everyone is saved. Okay? I mean, that's uh, that's pretty logical, right? right. Well, the, that's when I came into the realization in studying the ninth chapter of Romans and it t- tells something totally different. It talks about two different kinds of people, those for whom Christ showed his love and favor. And yeah, you started to break up there for a bit. And those for whom he did not, okay? And right. so I've asked Mark to uh, uh, read a couple scriptures for us. Uh, and Mark, why don't you start? Uh, by reading Romans, uh, the passage in Romans 5, um, and then I'll have you go over to Second Corinthians. But um, I've asked him to read Romans 5.15. Go ahead, Mark. Romans 5.15. <clears throat> but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. That's in the King James Version. That's good. Now, go on over and read for us, if you would, Mark, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse seventeen or twenty one was it? Yeah, let's read seventeen let's read seventeen down through twenty one. Let's do that. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay, starting at verse seventeen of Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. Verse 18. 
and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God, to God. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. And You're now, now, Kevin, what I'd like for you to do, and by the way, I see that Northwest Arkansas has joined us. I'm not sure if that may be Michael Smith. Is that you, Michael, by chance? Yes, it is, brother. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on board. Um, Thank you. We're talk- our, our, our subject tonight, Michael, as you probably know, is what is the, the true gospel and, in contradistinction, what is not the true gospel. And we just had and Mark Kennedy read Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen through Second Corinthians five twenty one, and also he read Romans five fifteen. And Kevin, what I'd like for you to do, um, I think this would be really helpful. Having come, having come out of Roman Catholicism, um, could you just, in a real simple terms. Explain the difference to our to, to the folks here. Uh, your understanding bet- uh, between imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Well, yeah, um, uh, being raised in the Catholic Church, we were taught that we had to perform in in, in, in different ways: in observing of the sacraments, partaking of the Eucharist, and and that made us Christians. And if we didn't do that, in fact, I was raised to believe that there was no other organization under the heavens that could be saved except the Roman Catholic Church. So, so that made us very prideful. We were very prideful. Uh, and of course, and then after reading the Bible, I saw that it's just the opposite, that, that uh, salvation is given freely to those of God's choosing. So, so that put me on a whole never, another <laughs> stand as to how I could relate to God. At first, he would have to choose me, and, and then he'd have to reveal himself to me so that I could then follow him, uh, being instructed by him. Uh, so that, to me, that's not uh, the religion that I was raised in. Um, imputed righteousness simply means that when Christ took the sins of his people, the righteousness of Christ was given to those people that he took the sins away from so that those people now stand in the righteousness of Christ. We're clothed in a garment of righteousness and we're seen by God as appearing as Christ himself in perfection. There's a verse in Hebrews that really thrills me when I read it. I think it's 1214, Hebrews 1214. 
and if I'm wrong, somebody can correct me. But it says, by one offering, he has perfected forever those that are sanctified. And I, I thought that, that that's just astounding. I mean, you you have to be in Christ. You have to be chosen in Christ to get the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. And if you're not chosen in Christ, there's nothing you can do to ever, ever see light on the other side of the grave. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, I really, yeah. You know, I love I love that, that scripture from Hebrews, especially it speaks to me because of my background. Yeah. Many of was you that, know that I... Yeah. I was that 12, 14? Was that 12, 14? Yeah. And okay. the, the okay. fact is that he, he is sanctified once... Forever, you know. I mean, it wasn't a progressive thing. It was a, a work that he accomplished. Now, it's, it's I'm going yeah. to go over to Brother Michael. Um, Michael has done extensive messages on substitution as well as imputed righteousness. And, you know, this whole aspect of the salvation being a gift. Uh, Ephesians 2.8, uh, most people don't accept it as only a gift. They make it a conditional thing based upon, you know, belief, repentance, whatever. Right. Uh, Michael, why don't, why don't you talk about that a little bit, Michael, as far as how you – I know you came out of uh, the teachings that were based upon more of a um, a conditional rather than an unconditional kind of faith. Why don't you address that for us a little bit, the distinction? Yeah, there's, uh, even among sovereign, some sovereign grace believers, they uh, use the uh, conditions of that, uh, uh, that we must repent, we must believe, we must hear the gospel. All these things are given as conditions to be saved. And, uh, yeah, coming out of the background that I came out of, it was uh, everything was conditioned upon you accepting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once you do that, then you'll be saved. But he had provided salvation for everybody. And everyone's sins were forgiven, but the only thing that kept you from going to heaven was your acceptance of him and your repentance and your believing. But yet we find in Scripture, especially as you kind of alluded there, uh, not only in Ephesians 2, but in Ephesians 1, uh, verses of Scripture that we quite often go to uh, at our church. But uh, we see that uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, that uh, all spiritual blessings were given to us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And so there is no way that can be conditioned on anything that, that we do in time uh, at all. Our acceptance, our believing, our hearing the gospel, none of those things are uh, are contingent uh, upon whether or not we get salvation or not. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's also in Hebrews chapter 3 that says the works were finished from before the foundation of the world. And so, um, you know, I think God has kept everything out of the hands of man, so that man cannot boast upon anything, that's and that he's not going. That's not mm-hmm. he's not going to share his glory with anybody. So he made salvation an eternal thing, so that mm-hmm. nobody can say that they could put their hands on it. Right, beautiful. That's good. 
That's a good one. Now, Mark, I want to have you share uh, your own personal um, testimony with us. Uh, just we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. I know you've been studying with Kevin there at Carl's Jr. And um, what was it that was, you know, in other words, as you begin to understand and, and God revealed himself to you, uh, kind of give us a little personal testimony about your own experience in being able to separate out the true gospel from the false gospel, Mark. Okay. I was not, I did not have a Roman Catholic childhood. Um, I do remember one time, though, my mother took me to church when I was very young, and the first verse I ever learned, of course, was John 3.16. And I, you know, went into organized, you know, religion, uh, regular congregations of mostly non-denominational variety of uh congregations, and I began to suspect that I was, some, that something was missing, and I discovered uh, R.C. Sproul back in the mid-80s, and he was how I first heard of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation and everything, and when I, when I began to listen to what he was saying, I, I began to realize that that I was only getting half of the story from organized religion, basically. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. So God you know, used Sproul in a in a very profound way in my life, and I realized that something was amiss in organized religion. Yeah, and like our brother Michael said, they the um, whole chronology of salvation is erroneously um, presented by those in organi most organized religions. Um, when we read in John 1, 12, 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, that pretty well that pretty well sets on its face, doesn't it? Uh, yes. What most most modern modern day Christianity, when I say modern day, um, Arminianism has been around a long time. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean Charles Finney, and and uh, we know that a lot of the other um, um, early. Yeah, the John Wesley was Arminian. John Wesley, and then yeah. of course, if we go back to Pelagius, even he was touting uh, right. uh, touting the free will of man and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to move. I want to move forward now. When we talk about the gospel being good news or glad tidings and so on, we have to we have to qualify who the good news and glad tidings is for. Um. Now, we don't know who the elect are, and Kevin, you've voiced that many times. We don't have election meters. We can't go around zapping people and tell who God's elect are and who he's died for. Right, but right. We, we can say that um, Jesus Christ did not die for all men without exception because Scripture 
comes against that very succinctly. Um, And I think one of the best gospel presentations, and of course a lot of people disagree with me, I remember the first time I heard this phrase about the golden chain of salvation in Romans 8, Mm -hmm. uh, and I began... I began to study Romans 8, and I thought, wow, this has a straightforward presentation, which includes all the crucial points of the gospel, including the law of sin and death, the man's depravity, unconditional election, effectual calling, particular redemption, irresistible grace, the final prayer. Everything is found in in that passage, and it makes it very clear, you know, and so... Uh, Kevin, why don't you share with with us um, a little bit of your journey? Uh, you've done this before, but how do you, when you're talking to someone and they start talking about how that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world and so on, how what is your response to those folks? Well, okay, th- there's a verse in the New Testament that that, that says, speaking of the uh, the unbeliever. It says they don't believe the record that God has given of his son, Jesus Christ. So to me, mm-hmm. the gospel is the record. Uh, it mm-hmm. talks about, in Third John, about abiding in the doctrine of Christ. The record of Christ is, is who is he? Where did he come from? Uh, why did he come to the earth? Where is he now? What is he doing now? And what is he going to do when he comes back? Now, when I talk to somebody, I... If if I see you know that they're not receiving what I'm saying to them, then then I have to leave them alone. I don't force myself on them. I don't argue with them at all. I, I just simply begin in conversation with them about the full counsel of the Word of God, and and so I, I try to listen carefully to see what they do know of the Scriptures. And, and oftentimes it's by hearsay and not by actually reading it for themselves. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, and then sometimes you meet people that actually are reading their Bible and they're like that uh, Ethiopian eunuch, you know, the, 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 how can I understand this unless I, I'm, I'm helped in some way? And, mm-hmm. and, some, and then sometimes I can have a really good time with them, you know, to try to help them. But almost all in that I've met uh, know what they've heard from others, uh, from their pastor and from church experience, and chatting among themselves, you know, that's very dangerous uh, because you, you, one error will create another error. And, and so people generally are very, very ignorant of the record that God has given of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's found only in the scriptures. You have to read the Bible to find these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question I, I had, and I want to get too far off our subject, but I think this bears, um, uh-huh. is an apropos question, and that is um, there's a, a very broad definition of the gospel by people out there about what the gospel is. Uh, I've even had I've even heard people talk about that the gospel includes um, creation. Okay, and we don't deny creation. I mean, we uphold creation, um, and there you can't separate out creation from redemption. 
because the creator, that's why he created, was that redemption would be a consequence of creation, okay? And and we could get into the fall, we could get into the fall of Lucifer and all of that, but um uh Michael, how do you uh, deal with uh, when people start getting off on, you know, all these sidetracks that really um don't have anything to do with the gospel. Uh we are, you know, some of us are called to present Jesus Christ and him crucified and focus on the gospel and not all these other ancillary uh, things. Uh, how do you deal with that, Michael? Uh, what, is your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, brother, I think what you're talking about has really become a, a, a rampant thing, uh, people getting so sidetracked on so many different issues. And, and again, that's not to say that these issues aren't important. Uh, I think Kevin just—I think Kevin just mentioned the uh, the verse of scripture that uh, we're to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, that uh, whenever we're uh, preaching and teaching, whether it's uh, in a uh, congregational environment or whether it's one-on-one, however we're doing it, uh, you know, we need to pull from all of Scripture. And uh, sometimes, you know, whenever you're confronting people and if you're doing that in an evangelistic way as far as, you know, preaching the gospel, you know, I think, uh, as my grandpa used to say, keep the main thing the main thing. And uh, that's uh, talk about what Christ has done, not what you are to do, but what Christ has done. I think Kevin had it right a while ago in what he said is that uh, there is a record of, of what Christ has done. And uh, that record is the good news, is that it's a finished salvation. It's a completed salvation. And I think whenever we're speaking to people of the gospel, you know, my mind always goes back to that verse in Corinthians that says that how Paul had given in the gospel of how Christ died and was buried and was resurrected, but he put in those that phrase according to the scriptures. And what we hear from most people today is a gospel that's not according to the scriptures, it's a gospel of what you must do and conditions and mm-hmm. and I think that I think that the point is that whenever we have opportunity as the Lord gives us opportunity, you know, that it's somehow that's becoming few and far between, uh anymore where people are able to be approached and to visit with them about the gospel. You know, I, I work a full time job and I have the opportunity to get to talk to people quite extensively sometimes while I'm there, uh, about the scriptures and you know, a lot of them profess to be Christians when they hear that, you know, I'm a, a preacher and everything. They always, you know, start asking questions. But usually whenever you get down into the things like how we believe, you know, they automatically want to get distance from you, you know, that you're some weirdo. Um, <laughs> and so I think I think that uh, whenever we, we have those times of opportunity to share with them, I don't think we should get sidetracked on a whole bunch of side issues. Uh, I think we ought to take that opportunity as it's given to us to share with them that record of Jesus Christ and what he's done. And, uh, you know, flipping around on them and that, you know, whenever they start talking about doing this and doing that, and, you know, I always like to say, well, you know, I'm not always so focused on what I need to do, but what Christ has already done. And uh, here's what he's done. And uh, whenever you start talking about 
before the foundation of the world, whenever you start talking about he came to save his people from his sins, that it was finished, that he is our sanctification, he's our justification, all these things, it's finished. You know, I just asked him, I said, now, does that leave very much room for us to do anything? Beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, that's good. Usually, that's good. usually you begin to see the wheels turning in those that may be the Lord's uh, elect. The wheels begin to turn. They begin to see that, and that resonates in them. Uh, but most modern professors, you know, they immediately want to go back to, well, you don't believe, you know, you don't believe that we have responsibility and accountability and mm-hmm. things such as that. So. Usually you can see uh, that you're bearing witness with somebody whenever you tell them the truth, and uh, the wheels begin to turn. Yeah. My friend Gary, my friend Gary has an expression. He says, yes, we are responsible, but we are not response-able until we're (laughs) regenerated. Yeah. And that's That's the way I, yeah. Yeah. And Gary... uh, and he has another saying about what the gospel is not. He he says it's not a well-meant offer of salvation to everyone. I agree with that. Yeah, that's right. right. Amen. I, I would yeah. agree with that as well. It's uh, yeah. The gospel is effectual for all for whom Christ died. Well, the gospel is no, not no. an it. The gospel is not an invitation; it's a declaration. That's right. Yeah, yeah, or a proclamation. Yeah, and and we're to give it indiscriminately. We 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 don't have to determine whether the person is a child of God or not before we give it to them, because we can't do that. So we give it to everybody. That's what Jesus means when he says, "Many are called, but of those that are called, there are only a few that are chosen." And so we. Yeah, we give the word, and then God gives the increase if there is to be any. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to bring up, uh, just to clarify, because I know a lot of us on this call have heard this through our lives. Uh, I know I've probably heard it uh, uh, more times than I can even recount. Um, probably one of the most um, predominant passages of scripture that the uh, universalists or the Arminian Jews is 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 where this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now I've heard different renditions of that. We know that Christ's intention was to save all kinds of men. In other words um this is mm-hmm. both Jew and, Jew and Gentile. It wasn't exclusively to the Jews. We are under a new covenant. Right. Uh, my mother, my, my mother uses this to say, "There you go. He he, he will have all men to be saved." Well, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Just you, you when you say, "Well, are all men saved?" <laughs> okay. Right, and see, and that would make Romans nine meaningless. If it was true, if it was true that God wanted to save everybody, yeah, right. And so it would also make Christ's salvation meaningless because He can't do what He set out to do, because right. He says He wants all men to be saved, and all mm-hmm. men we know are not saved, and not all men do not come to the knowledge of the truth, and right. so 
Yeah, Kevin, respond to that, and then Michael, and then uh, Mark, if you have a response on that as well. But go ahead, uh, Kevin. Well, we have to, again, see, the, these questions are answered by the scriptures themselves. And if, right. we, if we read the scripture and let the scripture teach us, we'll have the answer to it, to, to, to any question we could raise. First, I understand that nobody can come to Christ on his own. Remember, Jesus said that in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless, so something has to happen. Something has to happen. The Father, draw him. And now draw means to bring. So the Father is going to draw certain ones to his son, Jesus Christ. But he has to do that. You can't come on your own. So that wipes out free will. That wipes out your choice in the matter. It's whether God chooses to draw you to his son. And then I think of Jeremiah 31.3, where it says that in loving, uh, I, you, you know the rest of it, but he said, I drew you, uh, you know, with everlasting love. Uh, I have known you and I've drawn you. And, and that, that goes back to what Jesus said, that the father draws his chosen ones to his son. And so... Uh, you know, people people will have all kinds of things to say, but it's generally what they have heard others say, and it's all hearsay with with them, pretty much. And so, uh, sometimes you get a chance to just drop a few truths on them, and that's mm-hmm. all they can bear. I mean, they 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 brush you off; they don't want to hear anymore. But God knows if they're going to hear something you said to them, and that's that's the exciting. That's really exciting. It is exciting. Yeah, because we, we we may not see the, the fruit of that, but we may. The Lord may show it to us, and that's even more exciting. <laughs> yeah. Sure is. You know, yeah. uh, Michael, I, I'd like for you to respond, but before you do that, I'd like to also throw in another one of the favorite ones. Of course, they always, when you talk about the world and you talk about all, uh, in those mm. terms, world and all, uh, you, you know, when we go to the John 17, we can see a different understanding because it says, he said, I pray not for the world. Okay, and so there are different uh, contexts regarding this interpretation of world. The same thing in Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Mm-hmm. Not willing that any, not willing that any should perish, that all should come repentance. What do they leave out? What did I just leave out? <laughs> okay, the us word, the us yeah, word, right? No, that's right. So, Michael, Michael, why don't you just briefly talk about the contextual problems about all and world and this all men without exception uh, versus um, particular redemption. Well, usually you'll find uh, that the context itself will bear out uh, the definition of who that is pertained to. Just like in 1 Timothy chapter 2, which you were talking about, right before it says that, it talks about how he would have uh, them to make prayers and supplications and intercessions and giving them thanks for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet, peaceable life and all godliness and honest. But this is good and set from the side of God, our Savior. Uh, you know, you look at that and you see, you know, it's not only for the common man, but also for the ones in authority and, and power, all types of men, all kinds of men, as you said. 
Um, whenever you look in John, you'll see that John defines who the all is uh, in those passages. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually the context will will bear that out, but I'm kind of in agreement with uh, with Kevin on that. Whenever you look at the tenor of all of Scripture, you find you know you you can take these verses where the word world or all are used, mm-hmm. and you can find places like, for instance, the Bible says that the whole world went out after him. Well, did that mean that everybody in the in the world went after him? No, it didn't mean that. It meant that everyone in that area or a great amount of people was going out to see him. Um, you look at uh, some of these words and, and, you know, you have to take them within their context. But even at that, the whole tenor of Scripture, you got to take the clear uh, the clear passage of scriptures that, uh, like John 17, like you said, brother, you know, where Jesus said, I don't pray for uh, them. Uh, I don't pray for the whole world. I pray for those who are given to me uh, by my Father. All right. But we look at the word, we look at the word all, and we look at the word um, world, and we see that there are different uh, definitions for that depending upon that context. And whenever he's talking about that he died for all, that he uh, loves the world, uh, he's talking about the world of those for whom he uh, died. Uh, you you yeah. look back in Isaiah 53, you'll see that it's, uh, that it's brought down to a more defined deal whenever he says that he's the justification for the many, uh, mm-hmm. not for all. Yeah. So if there's a distinction anywhere in Scripture where he says he died for the sheep and not the goats. Whenever mm-hmm. he says that uh, that he laid down his life for all those that the Father had given him, that he was going to raise them up at the last day, you know, then there, there's a distinction there. And if that's the clearer teaching of Scripture, then these areas where the word world and, and, and all can be vague, we must take the clearer teaching of Scripture and let that dictate to us what the other passages seem to be saying. That's really good, Michael. That's 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 perfect. Even the verse yeah. said, the verse he, he said that he reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their sins against them. Well, it, it, he's, the world he's talking about reconciling is those that he's not going to impute sin. So that has mm-hmm. to be his elect. Yes. Yes. You know now. Well, Mark, and, and Mark, I'm 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 okay. a I'm I'm a very big person on you know i try not to take inference from scripture although Mm -hmm. i know there's some that's there and sometimes you have to look at inference once in a while Mm -hmm. but the clear teaching of scripture to me bears out so much and and just in that instance you know even if you look at the flip side and you take inference you can look at that and see if all those passages that talk about uh a particular redemption um and then you turn around and look that God's not God's purposes are not going to be thwarted. That whatever He wills, whatever He purposes, whatever He desires, that's going to be done. And then you say, well, if He wills that all men be saved, then all men are going to either be saved or then He's lying. That's right. So we, that's right. we see we see that the Bible teaches that God's will will be done. Now the 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 Armenians and even some of the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Protestant uh, uh, sovereign grace people uh, uh, of later years have kind of taken on this notion of God's 
two wills, that he wills one thing in a decreative will, and then he wills another thing in his desirable mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that somehow these wills are at contradiction of each other. Yes. And that would make God do, uh, 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 duplicit with himself. But the Bible right. says that he is of one mind, and who could turn him? Yes. So, so if God desires to save somebody, mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not as uh, as uh, as uh, some of the eighteen hundred uh, scholars said that He wants everybody to be saved and that He's died for everybody the same. Right. No, it's a particular redemption, and He does desire that all men that has been given to Christ be saved, but not all men head for head. Right, so, right. no. If you take the flip side of that and look at inference, the inference mm-hmm. would be that if God wants everybody to be saved, then everybody should be saved. But that's not the record of Scripture, and so if that's not the record of Scripture, our mm-hmm. inference is wrong. We got to change our understanding yeah. and submit to what the mm-hmm. Bible says, and mm-hmm. not what the God that we want to make to be. You know, all this, you know, universal love and universal salvation. God. Right. Mm-hmm. We uh, we have a question from one of our uh, guests, um, and the question is, how does Genesis 2.23 relate to Romans 9? I'll read uh, Gen- Gen- Genesis 2.23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Uh, mm. And you know, many people take that as being not uh, salvation oriented. It's just basically a proclamation that um, one is going to be prosperous and one is not, and one's going to be stronger, and one's going to be weaker, and so on. Um, yeah, Kevin, would you like to respond to that? Well, that that that's a good point you raised. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis one being temporal and the Romans nine yeah. being eter- eternal. Uh, I yeah. see that, but but it connects very nicely though with uh, the uh, Romans nine declaring that Esau was hated and Jacob was loved, and then mm-hmm. he goes on to he goes on to show how God has separated the human race into two two nations. You know, and Peter were called a, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So, so uh, yeah, she's she's thinking good there. Although I mm-hmm. I would tend to agree with your saying, Larry, that that was a temporal consideration, not eternal. Because yeah, and certain, I think also certain, no. I think that no. that as you go through, even you know, and I know a lot of people have um, accused me of trying to spiritualize everything, but. Uh, there are spiritual implications throughout the Old Testament. There's spiritual implications mm-hmm. throughout, um, and, and so it, it is. You know, when they talk, when we talk about Israel, when we talk about Jacob and his name being changed to Israel, that's a spiritual implication there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah. Now, Mark brought up a really good point. I want to go back to Mark here. He said that when he was brought up, you know, he heard. John 3.16, we all have, and I had a friend of mine, uh, he told me one time that his whole theology was John Mm 3.16, and I find it interesting, I find it interesting because the, all the scriptures leading up to John 3.15 and 16 Mm -hmm. talk about Holy Spirit's quickening 
and the power of God related to those who are recipients of God's grace. And really, John 3.16 is just a result of what that former, all those former scriptures were talking about, that, that, John, that Christ was talking to Nicodemus about. And then, of course, we find as he goes on down through that he even further affirms that. Um, why, why is it, and I think we know the answer to that, but Mark, uh, why do you think that those that are so quick to quote John 3:15 and 16 uh, don't want to talk about the um, the verses leading up to that and the verses that follow? <laughs> I think it I think it feeds their idea that that they have a part to play in salvation. I think it feeds their idea that they, you know, that they operate with God and in in the transaction of salvation. Mm, that's good. And not being entirely honest with themselves or God, for that matter. Yeah, you know, another thing that I wanted to bring up, and again, this is context, uh, and I'll call on uh, Michael and Kevin again for their thoughts on this. I'm, and there's a lot of people out there, even in the Reformed camp now, which I use that term very broadly, but First uh, John, John 2, 1 and 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and mm-hmm. not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, that whole world idea... Now there's a, yeah. there's a there's a whole theology out there, uh, Kevin, Michael, Mark, um, that says that God, uh, his sin, his he was a propitiation, but he wasn't a, wasn't effectual for all. But his propitiation propitiation was for all. Can you address that, Kevin and Michael? Uh, what what's up with that? <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. The, the way I see that second uh, Peter, uh, what is it? One two is it? The, the, yeah, the one that, the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. This actually is. First Peter. It's First Peter one two I think or two one something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find it here in a minute. But uh, the one that I was talking about, yeah, that First Peter two three and four, and then of course also. Mm-hmm. Um, this propitiation one is First yeah. John yeah. two one and two, and that oh, okay. by the way yeah. that particular passage that he is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. I think that has, that has to be interpreted both Jew and Gentile, every tongue, every nation, and every people. Yeah. I, but anyway, I, well, I, that's me, the way I. Yeah. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay. Okay. The way I see it is when when John says he is a propitiation for our sins, he's speaking of the elect of Israel, he he himself being a Jew, and the Jewish believers. And that's what he's in reference to there. And he says not only for ours, our sins, but the sins of the elect among the Gentiles. I agree. Yeah, that's what it is there. Because, because, Because other verses would cancel out or deny any other thought of that being universal. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, the propitiation is not universal. It's it's targeted to the elect only, to those that are chosen in Christ. That's why you have to put spiritual upon spiritual. You've got to put line upon line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept. It all has to fit together. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're, you're in error. And this is this is what happens when they're falsely taught. Right. Yeah. Michael, uh, could you could you kind of link because Mark brought up a good point about this well-meant offer of the gospel? Uh, could you link that to also the term general call, and also this idea of like a, a partial propitiation, not a total one? <laughs> Well, I mean, I would say uh, I'm in agreement with you guys as far as uh, what both of Peter and John are saying. Both Peter and John were basically uh, apostles to the Jews mainly. Uh, and so I think that that's, again, what they're saying, that when they're writing, they were writing to them specifically and was basically giving them the account that basically, that that Paul had with the, that Jerusalem council, you know, hey, here's what God is doing among the Gentiles. And when they realized that, that that was the fulfillment of uh, those Old Testament scriptures in Amos, um, you know, he, he, you know, they began to see that even the Gentiles God has granted repentance unto. And so whenever Peter and John, both in their accounts there, say, He's the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. They they are acknowledging the fact of what Paul, Peter was shown uh, on the rooftop when God let down the blanket, and uh, mm-hmm. that that the, that the Gentiles are not unclean; that they are clean if they are His. And so, uh, I agree with what you guys said on that. That I believe that that is not meaning that for the elect and for everybody else, or for them and for everybody else, meaning everyone head for head, but that it means for every tribe, nation, language, and tongue, uh, and the elect is among them. And again, that flip side would also be if he truly is the propitiation for all the world, then that means there is a removal of wrath from everyone right. in the world. That's right. right. That's right. Then why would anybody be judged and thrown into hell if the removal mm. of wrath has been removed? Right. I mean, if the if wrath has been removed from everybody, then yeah. everybody is out from under wrath. There right. is no more wrath. That's right. And so yeah. that's is there how no, that is. is there, uh, yeah. One other question I had, and I'm trying to keep things moving because we're hmm. going to try to confine this to one hour because I think that gives plenty of time for. We're covering a lot of things, but um, what about the scripture that talks about? And I, I can't. I think it's in. I think it's in Second Corinthians. Let's see if I. Yeah, Second Corinthians two sixteen. Um, it's. I'll just read that. It says to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savior savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? Uh, is there a Twofold purpose. Here's the question: Is there a twofold purpose in the proclamation of the gospel? Is the one purpose? Uh, now, now we don't believe in gospel regeneration, uh, or at least I don't. In other words, gospel quickening. I don't believe that. Uh, in other words, I believe that quickening precedes 
okay anything other than. Uh, in other words, once if we start putting emphasis on men saving men and soul winning and all this stuff through the proclamation of the gospel, we're now making man, uh, we're glorifying man in salvation and not God. Can you address that, Michael? And then, Kevin, I'd be interested in your, your thoughts mm-hmm. about it. It's yeah. a twofold question. It's... it's um, Oh, absolutely. Uh, does, okay, does salvation require uh, preachers? And how can they hear if they don't even know that scripture? And then the other one is, is the proclamation of the gospel a twofold uh, kind of a thing? Is it a death unto death and a savor of life unto life to, to one and a death unto death unto others? Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would agree with you, brother. Uh, I, I don't believe in gospel quickening. Uh, I don't believe that that's the saving of men is in the hands of any man, uh, even of yourself, uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, quickens immediately as Christ uh, directs. You know, he has been given power over all flesh to give life to as many as been given to him. And uh, he sends forth his spirit to give life whenever he chooses to give life. And uh, I don't necessarily think that uh, that the, that the gospel or the preaching of the gospel is necessarily the instrumentation by which he does that. Uh, so I would agree uh, that uh, it's not uh, about quickening. Uh, so I, I would say that that verse that that is life unto life and death unto death has not got anything to do with if you don't preach it to them, they're going to die, or if you preach it right. to them, they're going to be saved. That comes directly from Fullerism that infiltrated the Baptist Church back in the 1800s, and has grown very rapidly through even the I mean through the Sovereign Grace circles. Uh, that you know we got to get out there and get these men saved. If we don't preach them, you know men are are going off into hell because we're not getting out there and preaching to them. Right. Mm. right. And, but what that I, what I will say. Let me just interject this though. I think there is some truth in the fact that though oftentimes the reprobate, um, and we don't know who they are, but the rep- reprobate who hear the proclamation of the gospel do rest the scriptures. Okay, well, you, I'm sure you would agree with that, Michael. In other words, they um, uh, and the reason they do it is because they are they are hated by God and they they are they are uh, they are fitted for destruction. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Kevin, what are your thoughts on on this? Well, uh, there's a verse that says that His Word doesn't return void; it does that which He purposes to accomplish. So when yeah. we give we we give the Scriptures, we're giving a living Word to dead spirits if they're not regenerated. Right. And if they are regenerated, our spirit. The Holy Spirit in us bears witness with the Spirit in them. So you know mm-hmm. you can see you can see life. Uh, you, you, you could be wrong in your judgment of it, but it, 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 I at least when I meet people, I'm I jump in my spirit when I meet somebody that I think is a brother or a sister. You, you know, that, that's really interesting because Brother Michael just did a sermon about. The John the Baptist leaping in the womb, you know. Oh, okay, Michael, right. Okay. Yeah, right. Michael, Michael, give your little <laughs> rendition on that because that was uh, a blessing to me. Oh yeah, that was uh, whenever uh, 
the scripture says that John the Baptist was uh, filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever news came about Jesus, he said he left. Uh, and uh, I think yeah. that was because he was excited to hear about his Christ. <laughs> yeah, I heard that sermon. That was good. I have to, I have to say, Michael, I don't catch it in the morning when it's live, but I do listen to it later at the end of the day when I'm retiring and it's, you know, but I'm, I'm busy in the morning usually, so I miss your live service, but I enjoy listening to it. Well, praise the Lord, brother. I hope it's, uh, yeah. hope it's edifying. Sure it is. Yeah. I want so, to thank every, I want to I want to thank it's about 6:54 and I want to thank Kevin I want to thank Mark and I want to thank Michael for coming on tonight and all of the guests we've had a really good group about 13 people on tonight right. and uh, a lot Larry could I finish the thought could I finish the thought yeah, that I had yes. on on yeah, on the Kevin, purpose of, yeah yeah um so so it's like the field of dry bones in Ezekiel 37 where the bones are just lying there, they're bleached in the sun, and there's no life in them whatsoever. So if we give a living word, and it pleases God to quicken that word, they'll stand up and they'll be alive. Mm-hmm. If they don't, then we heap fire of coal upon their head in the day of judgment, because they've heard the truth and they rejected it. And this, their judgment in hell will be worse than if they hadn't heard it at all. So the, so we always win in proclaiming the gospel, uh, and so and we should never faint in well doing. That's what the scripture says. Praise the Lord. Yeah, even though so many are rejecting today, and, and particularly staunch religious people are rejecting what we would say are Christians. They are rejecting the truth of the gospel. And it, it's yeah. all ordained by God. I believe that the scripture mm-hmm. does a dual effect because what's that one scripture he says I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and whom I will I will harden so it's yeah, all yeah. by the that's almighty right. I believe Amen that's, that's good well, that's I, good. I, I will say this that I, I think that you know there's a, another thing that's overplayed a lot it's called a term called means of grace and I think mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes we underestimate the innumerable means of grace, okay, that God uses. What you know, I, I think about Joseph's life in Providence. Okay, in other words, God can use a donkey. God can use Providence. God can That's use right. any any means right. He selects That's uh, right. to to bring us to Himself. But I do agree with Michael that I believe that quickening precedes uh, mm-hmm. these. Things. In other words. I believe in immediate immediate quickening. Okay. Oh yeah. Now, I, I, now when I say that, I <laughs> I don't say that a person always knows when they're quickened. That's not what right. I mean. Oh, uh, but good. what I'm saying is, I believe it's an immediate quickening, and, and I believe that 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 immediate hey, bro- quickening. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Michael. Brother Larry, could I make a clarification? Yes. There, there there's some that might be listening that might get confused with the statement that I made. Uh, there's a lot of primitive Baptists out there that believe in immediate quickening, but yet they believe that the uh, elect child of grace may never come to conversion. That yes. they may be that they that they may be the elect and quickened, but they may never come to hear the gospel or know Jesus Christ, believe on Jesus Christ. 
No, I don't believe that for a second. Be, no. And because they are elect, they'll be in heaven, even though may, they may never hear the gospel and come to Christ in this time. And mm-hmm. I, I do not, I'm, I'm not saying that whenever I say I believe in immediate regeneration with subsequent conversion. I believe that the child of grace always will come uh, to Christ. Uh, if it, you know, if they don't believe on Him, uh, they, you know, they're no part of Him. Uh, they they're not they're not his. I believe that they will come to faith in Christ Jesus. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said that all the Father gives me shall come to me. So uh, right. I, I I just wanted to make I'm that glad, clarification. I'm glad, I'm glad you made that sure. point because I mean even Billy Graham's made statements like that, you know. And I mean even Pope Francis says you can be an atheist and if you have good intentions, you're going to be in heaven. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. And, and Billy Graham has said you don't have to know Jesus Christ, and, and a lot of other people have said that. John yeah. Hanke has said that in regards to the Jews, you know, and sure. so sure. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Michael. And um, Well, that, well I, that's what the Holy Spirit has given to us, to be a teacher and a guide into all truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. To, to take all that is of Christ and reveal it unto us, you see, and un, unto his children, of course. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, I'm going to. Uh, I, I'm going to bring. Uh, we could go on for another hour, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that because we've mm-hmm. had people come here recognizing this is a, a talk program from six o'clock to seven. Mm-hmm. I want to thank Michael. I want to thank Kevin. I want to thank Mark. And I want to thank all of our guests that have joined us. And I think this has been an edifying time talking about the, the true gospel versus a gospel that is not the gospel at all. And um, I want to thank you all, and we're going to go ahead and close this call out, and we're going to plan on doing this again next uh, week, providing uh, uh, at the end of the world the Internet service provider works. <laughs> so. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, brother. Uh, thank you. Right. Well, thank you all. Thank you, brother. Good night. Good night. Barry, thank you. Yes. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 